What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily Live, as tonight we're talking about, well, a Cardinals loss. That's the bad news. Uh, falling 3-2 to two against the Milwaukee Brewers on Tuesday night at Busch Stadium. Cardinals just could not get the run support uh, that they needed for Jordan Montgomery tonight, and he kind of fell off a little bit late in the outing, giving up a couple of home runs that end up dooming the Cardinals. They fall 3-2 to two to the Brewers. And uh, left a ton of guys on base as well. I think it was something like 12 men left on tonight for the Cardinals. So offensively, they kind of backtrack a little bit compared to what we've been seeing from this group. Remember, for a long, long time, the case was runners in scoring position, Cardinals having significant struggles. But tonight, uh, well, that returned. The last eight days or so, that has not really been an issue. In fact, the Cardinals have come up with some clutch hits in some come-from-behind situations that you just didn't really anticipate the Cardinals would be winning in any of those games. They were able to do it. They were able to wrap off seven out of eight and uh, four in a row coming into Tuesday night against Milwaukee. They had some of those similar opportunities come their way in this game, but they weren't able to take the same level of advantage of those chances. Seven hits they had tonight and uh, just able to score the two runs. They came pretty early in the contest. So kind of a quiet night for the offense, despite seven walks as well. They were on base pretty frequently. They had late inning opportunities. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that at bat for Brendan Donovan, where if you're watching on the Bally broadcast or if you're looking on the MLB game day app, you're looking at that and saying, well, those aren't strikes. Um, I know the stat cast little picture that they give you uh, indicated that they were those two pitches that were called strikes to Brendan Donovan. We're at the top of the strike zone. Watching the game, I certainly did not think they were strikes. I mean, it, I, I get it that the, uh, the the official StatCast version is probably, you know, typically the most reliable uh, with the way they do the, the high-tech fancy cameras and everything like that that gets the StatCast data. But there are times where I just say, I know what my eyes saw, and I think that was a mistake. It was as though uh, there's no consideration for the, the height of Brendan Donovan. And I don't... I. I'll tell you when I don't know something. I don't know what the official rule book language is on what the strike zone is supposed to be. But what I do know is that that pitch was at Brennan Donovan's elbow. Both of the, the first two strikes called against him in the uh, bottom of the eighth, I believe that was. So that was a little bit strange and obviously hurt the Cardinals' ability to uh, rally in that frame. They had another chance, though, in the ninth uh, that <laughs> I really thought, like, wouldn't this be something if that Wilson Contreras double over the head of Joey Weimer in center, which was a line drive right at him, and he kind of moved in on the ball instead of just going back a couple of steps. It seemed like he certainly uh, should have caught that ball, but he didn't even get a glove on it at the end of the day there. And so uh, for for uh, Wilson Contreras, it ended up being a double. Great for him. Uh, Cardinals had an opportunity because of it. They're not able to cash in. Pretty smart, I think, of the Brewers to go ahead and intentionally walk Nolan Arenado after getting a couple of balls on him. Uh, Paulie D was unable to come up with the big hit that would have been a really I mean you're talking about vibes that would have been something for the Cardinals that it's like if they win that game which was just kind of a sleepy game in a lot of ways Jordan Montgomery didn't pitch terribly but things kind of got away from him in the fifth and sixth innings we'll talk about the decision a little bit to have uh, Montgomery go back out for the sixth despite being at about 90 pitches and having it be a bit of a grind to get through the fifth inning um, I'm sure you guys have thoughts on that I didn't think it was necessarily the groundbreaking moment of the game but you could make a case that with a rested bullpen because of what you were able to get from Jack Flaherty yesterday, 
that perhaps this would have been a moment to get a little bit more aggressive. Obviously, the Brewers did, and taking that aggression with the way they had to approach it because of the injury to Wade Miley, leaving the game in the second with a lat injury. Uh, that kind of turned things into a bullpen game tonight for the Brewers against the Cardinals. And anecdotally, it seems like the Cardinals do not do well in those situations. When they're, when they're in a bullpen game scenario, I know what happened in San Francisco earlier this season. It was in that long road trip where the Cardinals really struggled. That was the John Brebbia game where he pitched like an inning or two, and then it was a parade of relievers behind him. And the Cardinals just don't seem to match up very well in those situations. Uh, you know, they obviously had prepared an approach for Wade Miley, and you have to scrap that when he leaves after five outs or whatever it was. Maybe it was just four outs. And so I don't know if that had an impact tonight on the Cardinal offense, but, you know, you have those games throughout a season where they're, it's just kind of sleepy for the offense. Even though you had opportunities with men in scoring position to strike, the Cardinals simply did not do so. And that was that from the Cardinals game tonight. And so I'll answer your comments or questions, anything you'd like to discuss from Tuesday night's game. But I also feel like we're going to have a lot of folks excited, even on a day where the Cardinals lost, because we got the news just a little bit after the game ended tonight that Matthew Liberatore, Triple-A pitcher will come up tomorrow to start the game for the Cardinals against Milwaukee in the rubber game of the series. He'll take on Corbin Burns. That'll be a tough ask for the Cardinals offense, uh, but maybe there's a little bit of an aspect of if they're able to get to Burns in that game tomorrow, well, Milwaukee just basically threw the entire bullpen at St. Louis on Tuesday, so that won't be a particularly rested group. Uh, Milwaukee will be asking Burns to go nine innings or at least seven or eight, and uh, the Cardinals will... I think it, I asked this question of Ali Marmel and I asked it of Arenado as well, whether the approach changes at all, knowing that the, the Milwaukee Brewers are going to be pretty reliant tomorrow on the idea that they need seven plus innings out of Corbin Burns, given pretty much everybody relevant from their bullpen got into tonight's contest. Uh, Ollie basically d didn't agree with the premise that, you know, there's a, there's a huge impact. They're going to have to beat Corbin Burns regardless. And that's an, uh, not an easy thing to do given the success that he's had uh, historically and historically against the Cardinals as well. But Arenado, you know, agreed that, yeah, if they're able to get to Burns early, that's going to make life pretty difficult because they're going to need innings out of Corbin Burns tomorrow on the other side. So that's the way we look at that, and we'll preview the Matthew Libertor and, and kind of what we think of the six-man rotation. But I'm going to go jump right in after a quick drink of water because I am sure lots of the comments already are pertaining to the news of Matthew Libertor and the six-man rotation with the Adam Wainwright start uh, that would have been scheduled for tomorrow being pushed back by one day for the Cardinals. So going to take a quick drink here. Remind you guys to subscribe to V-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd be so kind to follow the uh, subscribe, I should say, to the YouTube channel and uh, like the stream so we can get the numbers up, that would be appreciated. All righty. The Grave of Einstein chiming in with the leadoff comment tonight. Oh, man, thought I was going to be talking about Monty mostly tonight, but that changed. The six-man rotation, how is that going to go? So I've been asked previously by you guys and, and people on Twitter, it's often a very popular conversation, the notion of a six-man rotation. It's something the Cardinals have historically not been very willing to entertain. Every time the topic has come up, whether it's been with Ollie Marmel as the manager, even back to Mike Schilt, uh, it's just not something that the Cardinals have typically been looking to do uh, with their rotation. A lot of times the notion can be, hey, if you don't have 
five starters, what makes you think you're going to have six? And a lot of times the reason you don't go to a six-man rotation if you do have good pitchers is because you don't want to have the number one or number two guys in your rotation being delayed by an extra day each time through. Uh, they, they get fewer starts during the season, make less of an impact because of it. If, you, if you're a team with an ace and the ace isn't Shohei Otani, who I think they do a six-man rotation anyway because that's what he's accustomed to from pitching over in Japan all those years. Uh, they just they want to make sure he stays on uh, on schedule and doesn't get injured. That makes a lot of sense for the Angels. But otherwise, if you've got an ace, you pretty much want to get him out there every five days. And there will be times throughout a season where maybe you could look to amend that. But for the most part, that's to the benefit of the team to get your best pitchers pitching more frequently. Well, the Cardinals this year don't have a best pitcher. They have five guys who have at various points uh, had their struggles. And I know Adam Wainwright is kind of fresh to the rotation and I'm sure was raring to get back out there, but it's not going to be. And he'll pitch against the Dodgers uh, later on when they come into town. I guess that'll be Thursday's game. I think it makes a lot of sense to do at this point in time. It's a rarity again for the Cardinals to even entertain it. But I think when you look at the schedule and the lack of off days coming up, that's one factor. And I think the other aspect of it is we've been having the conversation on the stream. Who do you replace if you're the Cardinals trying to bring Matthew Libertor up? He's been kind of beaten down the door with the way he's performed at Memphis this season. ERA just sitting slightly above three right now. It had been well below three uh, the last couple of outings. Not that he's gotten knocked around per se, but four uh, runs allowed, I believe, in each of the last two outings for Matthew Libertor at Memphis. And so the ERA goes up a little bit because of that. But still very successful. And honestly, the AAA leagues often, I feel like, tend to gear more toward offensive production. I know that was the case when the Cardinals were out in the PCL, the Pacific Coast League. Now they're in the International League after the reorganization uh, post-COVID of the minor league structure of, of Major League and Minor League Baseball. So maybe that's not as applicable as it used to be. But it always does seem like you get those guys who they might be top prospects, but if they're in double-A, they're shoving and the ERAs are sterling, but then they go to triple-A, and sometimes it, it's rare to find over the course of time, and in my anecdotal, again, experience kind of following this stuff, it seems like a lot of times those guys in triple-A, they might have an ERA three-and-a-half or four, but they could still get that call up and turn into pretty good major league pitchers. Uh, a lot of times just offensive uh, minded baseball tends to dominate down there for whatever reason. So I think it is impressive what Libertor has done this season. He's really been able to put himself back on the map for the Cardinals. Kind of lost his luster a little bit as a prospect, which isn't necessarily fair to say about a guy uh, when, when he gets his major league debut and just doesn't instantly thrive. It's kind of to be expected that there's going to be a learning curve and there could be some bumps in the road. But I thought it was interesting. I've referenced this before. I thought it was interesting that Matthew Libertor uh, at winter warm-up, kind of talked about the fact that he felt himself in, in reflecting upon his first season in the, the cup of coffee that he got a couple of different times in St. Louis, reflecting upon the fact that he didn't really have the bulldog mentality, is what he called it, that he would 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 customarily see himself with. It wasn't something that he was was able to do enough last year and kind of caught himself reviewing the season and recognizing that that's something he's got to get back to if he wants to succeed at the big league level. And I think he came into this season, even starting back in spring training with a purpose and was able to have a, a very productive spring and then has parlayed that into some success at the AAA level. And so the Cardinals, 
I think it's been clear if there was a pitching injury uh, aside from the Wainwright one, once they removed Woodford from the rotation, uh, which kind of coincided with the, the return of Wainwright anyway. But Woodford had kind of run its course, I think, in the rotation and had struggled. Um, obviously, ultimately, he's on the injured list. And so it, technically, it's not like he was demoted or lost his job, but that was really going to be the situation. He had been moved to the bullpen, and I think it was pretty evident to everybody paying close attention that if the Cardinals had a need for another starter, that was going to be Matthew Libertor, uh, based on the way that he had performed in AAA. But guys are healthy, and the one guy that you thought might actually get replaced at some point in time, there were some rumors and some scuttlebutt that they might skip a start for Steven Matz there for a minute. He's actually turned things around a little bit, at least, uh, to the ex- extent that you're not going to remove him from the rotation. His last two outings, getting into the sixth inning, not allowing uh, more than three runs, a grand total of four earned runs across those two outings. And so they're not removing Matthew Le- or, or Stephen Matz, I should say, any point soon. And so that kind of did leave Libby in a tough spot where it's like he, he really has earned an opportunity to show what he can do again at the big league level. They just had nowhere to put him unless you go to this six-man rotation. That's what the Cardinals are going to do now, at least for the course of uh, the next three weeks or so when they don't really have any off days to speak of. I think it's a benefit to this team because they really don't have an ace. They don't have that guy that you look at and go, well, you can't afford to put him on a six-man rotation because you're going to be wishing you had a couple extra starts from ace XYZ at the end of the season. Right now, the Cardinals don't have that guy. Could Jack Flaherty throw a few more times and turn into that guy once again for the team? That's possible. I don't want to put the cart before the horse on that, but he really did look good in his outing last night at Bush Stadium, so we'll see. But other than that, you just haven't had that guy that's just a dominator. Uh, And so for right now, I think it makes all the sense in the world to go ahead and give Libby an opportunity to pitch at the big league level. And the reason the Cardinals are doing this right now rather than a a different point in the uh, homestand or uh, the next stretch of games is pretty simple. It's that the Brewers, you get an advantage against them with lefties. I know that Monty didn't have a great game tonight. Um, pitched into the sixth inning, gave up the three runs. A couple of solo bombs hurt him in this one. And then the Cardinals just didn't get in the, the run support that they needed. But Matthew Libertor with an opportunity, another lefty. If you just look at the slash line for the Brewers this season against left-handed pitching, pales in comparison to what they're able to do uh, generally against righties. And so... I feel like that's an obvious way to make this happen. I would say it would probably be the opposite. If you think about the way that Adam Wainwright tends to pitch, that uh, you know he probably wouldn't thrive necessarily against uh, a, a lineup full of guys that, that can hit uh, pretty successfully against lefties. He's a righty, and so that might be a different situation for him. And uh, I don't know what that means as far as delaying him until the next outing where he'll then be facing the Dodgers. You might have your thoughts on that and say, well, that's not going to be any better. Um, But I don't think the Cardinals are really in a position right now where they feel the need to necessarily protect Adam Wainwright, right? He's he's been around the block quite a bit, and so I think they're just expecting him to hone in, especially with a start at Bush Stadium where typically he's been at his best over the course of his career. Uh, The Cardinals aren't as worried about what it would look like for him to face the Dodgers. They're more focused on if we're going to get Libertor into this rotation, isn't it probably better to go ahead and do this right now, give him a chance to face that Brewer lineup that uh, is slashing with a 210 batting average, an on-base below 300, and just a 340 slug against left-handed pitching on the season. So that's an OPS about 618 if I'm doing some quick math. Uh, The math might be wrong. We're used to that with me. 
but that's not very uh, successful. So I feel like that's why the Cardinals think maybe a little bit of an advantage that they could definitely use with Corbin Burns on the other side tomorrow. So excited to see Libertor and the opportunity that he'll get. But that's kind of the breakdown of why I think they're going to this move right now. And uh, it could be successful if Libby can be successful. People have been clamoring for him to get a shot. Now he's going to have that opportunity. And hopefully he takes it and runs with it. Because if he does do that, then there will be a little more scrutiny when it comes time to potentially bump back down to a five-man rotation. You'll be able to look at things and go, now we've got data on what Libby is doing at the big league level this season. He can compare that to everybody else. And that is kind of going to put a guy like Steven Matz in particular, I think, just on a little bit more of a, of a of an edge to say, hey, if you go three starts and Libby outperforms him for the next three, could it be a situation where Matz goes to the bullpen? I think with the way he's pitched the last two times out, that's not imminent. But it does kind of stand to reason that when you can now pair those guys and look at them back-to-back or, or at least within the context of a major league rotation pitching every fifth day, the comparisons are a lot easier and they're, they're tougher now to ignore, right? You could kind of ignore what Libby was doing if you were the Cardinals and you wanted to cater to one guy over another based on salary or whatever else. But now you'll have an opportunity if you're Libertor. Like if he pitches well for the next, I would say about three starts or so that they'll be looking to keep this uh, six-man rotation. If he's able to, to really shove and get the job done, they're not going to send him back. They'll either continue with that six-man rotation and modify it as needed as time goes on, or they they could have somebody else bumped. And I just don't think there's anybody viable to bump right now. Uh, Mats would be the one if he were to struggle again just because he was kind of close to getting that treatment previously. Uh, but big time for Libby, and I'm kind of excited to see what he does tomorrow. Granted, won't be at the game, and you, you probably won't hear me with a live stream tomorrow, depending. It, it could be a situation where we're back here at midnight again. But uh, tomorrow, my wedding anniversary with my wife uh, of eight years now, and so will not be at the ball game. You won't be seeing the typical level of Cardinals coverage from me tomorrow. But, hey, uh, we might still hop on here after she goes to bed for a live stream. So, Matthew Libertor, though, he'll have to outduel Corbin Burns. That'll be rather interesting, and uh, we'll see what he's capable of doing. Going to take a quick drink. If we can get to 20 likes here, that would be something that would make me uh, very excited. You can consider it the anniversary present that y'all are going to give me uh, to give me some more uh, likes tonight. Uh, Brent says Libby time. Connor L says howdy. The laborer says uh, they got a little pitching tonight. Uh, I don't know if that's referencing the notion that Libertor is on the way or if that's referencing the fact that uh, Jordan Montgomery did okay. He was fine in this game. Uh, pitching, by the way, to Andrew Kisner. Don't know what everybody might have thought about that. I don't think there was really much more to it other than they had a lefty that they expected to be facing in Wade Miley on the other side. Andrew Kisner does well against lefties. Wanted to get him back in the lineup, and uh, I don't think there's any smoking gun about, yeah, Montgomery doesn't want to pitch to Contreras. I don't really think that's a thing at this point in time. I mean, if it keeps happening every single time, we might be able to look at it and go, is this a personal catcher situation? But for now, I think it was just the way things lined up, wanting to get Kisner in there against the lefty. Unfortunately for the Cardinals and for the Brewers, because their guy is hurt, uh, Wade Miley was, was injured in the second inning, and it ended up being a bullpen game where the Cardinals did not see the type of arms that they kind of expected. It's like the rug gets pulled out from under you. You, you stack your lineup expecting it to be a lefty for at least uh, a couple of turns through the rotation, and then, then it ends up not being that. Uh, although the Cardinals had a lot of lefties in their lineup tonight anyway because of some of the injury situations going on. 
Uh, Dylan Carlson would typically obviously be a guy that's in there every single time you face a lefty, but he is not healthy right now. The ankle situation is still lingering. I think tomorrow, Wednesday, will be the day that we know for sure whether this is going to be an IL stint for Dylan uh, because you can backdate it three days at most. And so they can they can wait until Wednesday and not lose any additional time in terms of how quickly they'll be able to get him back. Uh, he took some at-bats from the right side today, but evidently was not feeling so strong pregame from the left uh, with the injury that he's dealing with. If the Cardinals do need to put him on the shelf, it would then just be like another week or so uh, to with that 10-day IL because they can backdate it till Sunday, which was the day that he actually suffered the injury. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. But that was part of the reason that you saw guys like uh, Edmund uh, batting or, or playing in right field tonight, Donovan in left as a left-handed bat. I think this would have been a game to get Nolan Gorman some opportunities against a lefty starter anyway. Um, whether or not they would have done that if Dylan was fully healthy, I guess we don't really know, but it didn't end up mattering. Gorman faced Wade Miley once, I think it was, and then ends up getting uh, getting the injury there in the middle of the second, and so he didn't see him for a second time. Grounded out uh, relatively weakly to the right side, but he did. I think that was the play where he beat out the potential double play at first, so uh, was hustling, which was good to see. But yeah, for the Cardinals offensively, uh, didn't do a whole lot tonight, but they did have a little pitching. So there you go. Uh, the Grave of Einstein says, love money, Matt, getting the call up. The six-man rotation is going to allow everyone to compete for when they can eventually cut the fat. And that's kind of what I was referencing a little bit earlier. But I also wonder if that's actually legit, if that's actually something that's going to play out for the Cardinals. Because obviously when you've got veteran guys, it's hard to pull them out of a rotation, even if they struggle. Like Wainwright, I don't think he's getting pulled. Jack Flaherty, the same thing. Uh, Montgomery, you know, the same thing. He's not even even close to that point. He's still got an ERA, 4.21, as you see there on the screen. So he's he's still been fine. It's just not been, you know, overwhelming in either direction for Jordan Montgomery. They have lost a ton of his outings in a row. I don't know if that's seven straight starts uh, of Monty's that they have lost as a team. He started the season 2-0 and and then has has had a couple of outings where he's gotten roughed up, but he's also had several outings where he's pitched okay and it's just absolutely not gotten any run support from the offense. And that was kind of the case again tonight for the Cardinals. So uh, I do believe, though, the six-man rotation will allow them to at least look at Matthew Libertor and say, hey, we can't dismiss what he does if it's good. Like at AAA, they could say, oh, well, it's, it's minor leagues. It's not really indicative of what you expect. But if he does well in St. Louis, they're not going to be able to ignore that. And so the the fat cutting that you mentioned there, the grave of Einstein, I wonder how you know how feasible it would be uh, for guys that aren't Steven Matz. Now, there can also be injuries that, that I mean, if, if a starter were to get injured in the next three weeks, I don't think that would shock anybody just because injuries do happen over the course of time. And knock on wood, the Cardinals rotation has been relatively healthy so far this season. Uh, they obviously lose Wainwright at the beginning, but then they, they get him back healthy, and he's made a couple of starts now, and he'll get his third one on, on uh, Thursday this week. But it's uh, interesting to see. I'm, I'm curious to see what Libby does, and if it's good, how they'll be able to justify, I mean, sending him back if it's, if it's a, a guy that's giving you competitive outings. The Cardinals have been in a situation where beggars cannot be choosers when it comes to who's pitching and who's doing it well. So, yeah, I agree with that. It's going to be intriguing to see how he's able to uh, to compete and then maybe how long they stick with the six-man rotation. If they start getting those off days coming up uh, in early June there, you know, what ends up happening with that? 
I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but I think a lot of people are excited, rightfully so, to see the maybe the, the transformation of Libertor compared to when we saw him last year when he just wasn't attacking hitters the way that he said he expects to be doing. Uh, I think this Brewer lineup is a good one to start him off with, not because they're not competitive at all. Obviously, they've got some good hitters over there, but given the splits, they haven't been as effective against lefties, and so Libby's going to have hopefully every opportunity uh, to be able to thrive in this one. So we'll see. I guess we're getting a little buffering is the uh, the read that I'm getting from YouTube here. So apologies if that ends up continuing. Hopefully it won't be very long-lasting. Cardinals can have a little pitching as a snack. I don't know what that means, Connor. Got to be honest with you. The laborer says uh, six-man rotation might not be a bad idea for a while. Yeah, it makes sense given where this team is, especially when you think about the fact that they just don't have an ace right now. So there's nobody in this group that you're going, oh, man, if, if the Cardinals aren't able to get that guy uh, another start within five days, you know, everybody's crying in their Cheerios. I just don't think that's the case with this group. Hopefully there becomes a point in time where you won't be able to say that anymore. Uh, but certainly for right now, it's kind of where things feel for this Cardinals team, right? So uh, we'll see what they're able to do in terms of the rotation and getting things going. But right now, you just don't have that guy. Uh, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Tyler makes a comment that Mo is just doing this to make us stop mocking the six starters line, isn't he? That's funny. Because when he said that line, he was talking about the five guys that are in the rotation currently plus Dakota Hudson. He was not referring to Libertor. He meant, you know, they've got six starters that have major league, you know, ample major league experience. But uh, that's a pretty good point there, Tyler. Like, hey, he, he's been definitely mocked mercilessly for saying we've got six starters. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that pop up on Twitter in a, you know, in a graphic with, with his face and a bow tie. And it's, you know, people like to, to toy around and have fun with those sorts of things. And yeah, he probably regrets saying it. I, in context, I know what he meant. He meant we have six guys who have ample major league starting experience. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you felt good about all six coming into the season. Uh, Dakota Hudson very much was in a prove it situation when it came to what would he do in spring training? Uh, and the answer was not much. And so that got him sent to Memphis. But yeah, Libertor now could be that six starter. And uh, Mo can say, see, I told you all along, six starters. Uh, Jason says, oh, no, we suck again. I don't know if that's the case, but uh, it was kind of a sleepy game tonight for the Cardinals. Offensively, they get into those situations. Uh, even when you get a spot where, wow, that, that double for Contreras in the ninth should not have been a double, should not have been a hit, should have been the end of the game. Uh, Nolan works a walk. He thought, wouldn't it be something if Pauly D comes through here? Not able to do it. It was just one of those nights where they could not get things going uh, with men in scoring position like we, are, we we kind of have grown accustomed to seeing them do successfully over the last couple of weeks with uh, the success they've had in the last, you know, that seven out of eight stretch. They were they were coming up with clutch hits there. Tonight, they kind of took the night off uh, from being able to do that, unfortunately. Uh, we, we do need to mention offensively, though, uh, the guy who is the the picture that we will we'll kind of rotate through that picture as I continue to toy with what I want the stream to look like visually. And you guys can continue to give me feedback on that. Uh, this is all kind of a work in progress, so I, I appreciate you guys uh, for the feedback you do give me. But there's Nolan Arenado. I ran down and snapped that picture of him down at third base tonight because I knew I was going to talk about him in the five games in a row that he has now walloped, in the words of uh, Chip Carey, a home run for the Cardinals. Five straight games. He's raised his OPS from, it was down to 590. 
590 was the OPS for Arenado as of, I believe that was May 2nd. So exactly two weeks ago as of uh, Tuesday night's game before we switched over past midnight in the central time zone here to the 17th of May. Uh, Arenado was down to 590 on the OPS. Now he is at 752. So two weeks go by. You're able to have some success. He's been OPSing north of 1,000, I believe, for the month of May, even after uh, making a couple of outs later on in tonight's game. Uh, so getting back to 752, he's going to be more than fine. He's now out OPSing Contreras for the season. So if that gives you any idea, Contreras' numbers have been relatively solid. It was good tonight, getting a base hit and three at-bats and walking twice for the Cardinals. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Arenado's back. We, we pretty much knew this was the case. Um, but we're continuing daily to get confirmation of that. Uh, so good to see from him. But other than that, offensively, the Cardinals just were not able to get much done tonight. Libertor has been slowing down a bit and has had two bad starts in a row. Uh, this is from Einstein here. But that was without his main catcher, Herrera, and he's a big moment type of guy. Can't wait. Yeah, it, I'm excited, too, to see Libertor and whether he rises to this moment because uh, he's a guy that knows that he – had opportunities last year, but maybe he didn't take full advantage of them. Remember, this guy's a former first-round pick, and the Cardinals, yes, they traded Randy Rosarena to get him. Yes, to that point, uh, the, the trade hasn't looked good, right? The Cardinals have not gotten much at all out of Libertor over the years. Uh, granted, when they got him, he was relatively fresh out of high school still, um, and so still a pretty young guy. Same draft class, of course, as Nolan Gorman, uh, those two guys, friends from their prep playing days, so that's kind of cool, cool story there. And uh, now they'll both be back on the Major League roster. Gorman is ascending as maybe an all-star caliber player with the way he's performed this season. Uh, Libby, I think, like you said, he's a big moment guy. He wants to rise to this moment and say, I'm a big leaguer. Like, I'm ready to be that. Uh, he can prove it certainly tomorrow uh, against a team that the Cardinals are only going to see once more this Wednesday. And then they don't play him again until, I think, September. It's like toward the end of the season when they get the rest of their games against Milwaukee. And kind of a weird situation when you think about the uh, the balance schedule, and it's different than it than it has been historically with that because you can always expect to see pretty much everybody within your division as the season goes along. Um, that's not going to be the case anymore, and so kind of important I think for tomorrow for the Cardinals to take this series win, be able to look at themselves in the mirror and say, "Hey, we took uh, a series from the Brewers and we gained on them in the standings rather than the other way around when we had the chance to do so in mid-May." You can't just count on being able to beat up on the teams that you're competing for uh, the division against because you're not going to see them as often. And so it's going to be a big one tomorrow for the Cardinals. And I would make the case that the Brewers, like obviously they didn't choose to have Wade Miley get hurt tonight, but with the way they managed this game and went pretty aggressively to the bullpen and just kept throwing top arms at the Cardinals, we'll take a look here at the box score at, at exactly what they were doing. But they end up using six total pitchers tonight. And uh, very strategically and effectively, I think, to be able to navigate this game against that St. Louis lineup that was expecting again to see more Wade Miley than ultimately they did tonight. So uh, I, I think what that means is the Brewers recognize that this is an important one. There was uh, one of the, the Brewers writers was kind of talking as we were taking the elevator down tonight that last year it was a situation where between the Phillies and the Brewers, they ended up... Uh, they were losing that tiebreaker. They knew that if they were going to pass Philadelphia to get a playoff spot there in, in the wild card situation, they were going to have to beat them by a game. There's no game 163 anymore. And the same thing kind of applies here, I believe, to the divisions where uh, tiebreakers based on regular season head-to-head -head is going to determine those things. And so the Brewers 
uh, cognizant, I think, of that fact tonight after they, they kind of potentially could have gotten burned on it last year. I don't think they tied for record, but it was kind of coming down to the wire for Milwaukee, and that was something that was in consideration. So tonight they go very heavily into the bullpen and make sure they're using some of their best guys. Uh, Devin Williams ends up uh, getting the five-out save for Milwaukee tonight. So presumably he won't be available tomorrow, but you never know. These games mean a lot. I think it's just a matter of the uh, Brewers are going to need a lengthy outing out of Corbin Burns. That might have been the case regardless because he's typically a guy that can go deep into games. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a spot now where the Cardinals are going to look to try and take advantage of that and, and hopefully get a little more offense than they did today. Uh, let's see here. Diving back into the comments section, Jason says fire Matheny. Don't worry, they did that. They did that, uh, what is that, five years ago. A couple of months from now, it will have been uh, five years. Einstein says the offense did that thing again where it just kind of died. Happens sometimes. If that happens in a pattern, however, that's when we start getting into losing streaks. And that is the pattern that sort of took over for the Cardinals early in the season. Night after night, man, you guys remember. I mean, it, it, it seems like so long ago, given the way they played over the last week, but the Cardinals in their their woes with uh, runners in scoring position early in the season, it was night after night that they were just not taking advantage of their chances. And uh, it did. It put them into the hole that they're in now and uh, still trying to actively dig out of it. But this is a great example. When you play the team that you're chasing and they beat you, as good as you might have felt about the 18-1 to yesterday, it doesn't mean that much because you instantly go back to seven and a half games behind with a loss tonight. And so winning the series is definitely critical uh, and, and not kind of allowing another streak to begin where you do. You start to get into a pattern of, eh, the offense just kind of goes to sleep in those key moments. It's not like they weren't getting base running. I, I would, I would, or base runners, I should say. I would give them credit for what they were able to do uh, in terms of, you know, being able to walk seven times tonight. Now, one of them intentional to Nolan there late, but they were able to get on base and they just, a matter of not being able to do much when you did get those base runners. And that's a problem. And it's hopefully one that won't uh, end up carrying forward for the Cardinals. But then again, you may not get that many base runners tomorrow when it comes to Corbin Burns. So we'll see. Uh, good comment here from, from Jason. It was good to see Hicks not give up anything. Yeah, I got a comment from somebody on Twitter tonight when I mentioned that Montgomery was, uh, you know, kind of having the wheels fall off a little bit, Jordan Hicks coming in to make sure it doesn't uh, completely fall off for him. And, and the guy goes, Hicks is terrible. And I'm thinking, well, he hasn't done anything bad in this game. Inning in two-thirds, two strikeouts, no walks, no hits allowed. Yeah, he looked good tonight. But the ERA is what it is, and so that was probably the reference there. Um, still at 5.60 for Hicksy this season. Appreciate you guys for being with me. Make sure to subscribe to the channel, and uh, if you're relatively new, and haven't subscribed before, that's the thing you got to do to be able to get your live comments in on the stream. So I'd appreciate that. And uh, we can get to 25 likes, I think. A little bit of a quieter night, but that's okay. Uh, let's try and get to 25 and see if we can make that happen uh, with a couple more likes on the stream here this evening. Chan the Man, welcome in, says, I'm not getting this DeYoung ahead of Gorman in the lineup. And Contreras between Goldie and Arenado. Feels very anti-synergy, especially during a Kisner start. Um well, I mean, that's what they've been doing with Contreras for uh, several weeks now, uh, splitting up the the Arenado, the Goldenado, if you will, in the lineup. Goldie has been second. Arenado likes to bat cleanup, and so they haven't moved him from that even throughout his struggles. And so uh, they're just trying to get a little bit of a different look there. I don't hate it 
against a lefty, which, again, they expected to be facing a lefty tonight, and they only did for about an inning and a half, and then he got injured. Um, so that's what they've been doing with Contreras. They don't want to move Goldie and Arenado, I think, day-to-day. They want to keep those guys relatively constant, and it seems that it's been communicated, I assume, that Wilson knows, yeah, against lefties, you're going to bat third. You're going to bat between those guys. Against righties, you're going to bat fifth. And that's the, the situation with Gorman is this was the first time, I believe all year, that we have seen him against a lefty. It may have happened once. I saw John Denton put out there that he was 0 for 7 against lefties. So I don't know if all of those were relief opportunities uh, against him or if he had he had gotten one start. But I don't think he did. I think they've been pretty consistent about no starts for him against left-handed pitching. Um, but they were going to put him in the lineup. And I think it's a case where, eh, this guy's been a, a three-hole batter for you. You don't want to, and I get that a lot of times you you shouldn't look at this kind of stuff when setting a lineup, but it does matter to say that, yeah, this guy's been our three-hole batter. Do we really want to bump him, uh, you know, too far down in the lineup? Probably not, but they've done it with, you know, Edmund had, for a while there was either batting ninth or batting leadoff. And so it's, it's like, it's just a, a feel thing, I think, for different guys. Gorman, they didn't put him too far down. They got him sixth. But against a lefty, I think it makes sense. The problem just was they didn't end up facing a lefty tonight. They only got him for one at bat, and then it was the rest of the bullpen, and uh, the Brewers were able to mix and match to their leisure uh, as the game went along. I don't know. DeYoung had been riding hot. I don't think I, I had been saying don't move DeYoung up because that's when it's going to, you know, it's going to fail on you. And tonight he goes 0 for 4. He does reach via walk, but the OPS, uh, it's falling. It's down to 881, so... We'll see. I need it. I need it to stay above seven seven fifty though, if I'm going to be in line for that payday from the guy on Twitter. Said he was going to pay me on Venmo thousand bucks. I don't think it's going to happen. But I also think it'll be because DeYoung does not get the 400 plate appearances um, after missing the beginning of the year. We'll see though. Um, but yeah, I just I don't really worry too much about it. I get what you're saying though. You want to see Gorman higher up in the lineup against the lefty. That's why they they moved him down. Um, and I don't think that's wrong, given his historical performance against lefties. It did end up kind of biting them a little bit, though, because maybe you get Gorman there uh, at the end of the game against Devin Williams, and that would have, I think, been a more competitive at bat, which is not to say that, uh, what's his name, DeYoung wasn't competitive, you know. He but he grounds out pretty weakly to third, and the game is over from there. Gorman has been the clutch guy in the ninth inning, so yeah, it would have been nice to see him in that spot, but... Um, I understand why they did it. They expected to be facing a lefty for six innings, whatever the case would have been, and uh, Miley leaves after two or before he even gets through two. That's the that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, Connor L says, "I'll just change my name. I go by Corn almost always. Yeah, just just be Corn, and then I can call you that." Uh, there you go. Uh, Chan the man braved his first Metro ride to the stadium today. Uh, well, hey, how about that? Metro's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, in terms of safety, I guess sometimes, you know, some people may not be familiar with it, but, you know, public transit, I wish St. Louis had more of it, to be honest with you, because a lot of other cities you go to, um, they've got a great setup, and uh, I just don't feel like St. Louis is quite as uh, quite as robust in that regard. But uh, we'll talk about trains on another stream, I think. But the, thanks for sharing with the class, Jan, uh, on that one. Labor says it's a decent matchup tomorrow for Libby. Brewers hit about 210 against lefties. Yep, we've talked about that. That is the reason that the Cardinals are choosing right now to go uh, to Libertor and to uh, to see what they can get out of him. And I'm excited to see what he can do. Korn says, I knew when Miley got hurt, it was going to ultimately end up throwing the lineup off. They were so lined up, nice to face him. And I think they were too. 
Like you had Edmund in there playing the outfield, which is not something that's very normal for him. Obviously, he hasn't done that this season. I think didn't do it last year either. Um, but the bat has got to be in there. And if you're going to play Gorman at second, really, if, if you're going to DH Contreras, which again, I don't know if it's a Monty thing or if it's a, a matter of Kiz's bat is one they wanted in the lineup against the lefty too, which has been something they've reiterated time over time about the matchups uh, with the way he swings it against left-handed pitching. But at the same time, you could DH Kiz. I know how that looks with being a, a light hitter, but if you're wanting to get Contreras behind the plate, you could have done it that way. However, if they're both going to be in the lineup, you might as well give Wilson the day off his feet, even though he's had a lot of days off his feet lately. That stretch coming up is one where they're going to be expected to lean on Contreras behind the plate more often. And so I think I'm okay with the way that it went down. Um, you, you maybe make a case that would they have pinched it a little sooner for Kiz. There's a couple opportunities where Kisner uh, could have could have gotten it done, uh, runners in scoring position and the like. Didn't come through the first time and then uh, did get pinched hit for late by Burleson uh, in that eighth inning after the Donovan strikeout that really shouldn't have been a strikeout in my opinion, but the stat cast says differently. I know how Cardinals fans felt about it. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those deals where... Uh, they were probably set up to, to do well tonight against the lefty, and uh, Arenado got to him right away, obviously, and ultimately, yep, that's not what they got, and it, it really did. It felt like advantage Brewers. You just knew, like, okay, bullpen game. This is what the Cardinals do. Uh, it's going to be a long night, but, man, they had those chances and just couldn't couldn't cash in. Uh, whoops, why did I scroll there? I didn't mean to do that. Let's give you guys the uh, – we'll, we'll look at the pitching here for a minute. I just like to kind of scroll back and forth. Over the course of time, we'll come up with a better way to, to use that space sometimes. But uh, for now, we'll give you the box score, give you something to look at. Um, Samuel says, this game didn't hurt as bad as most losses to me. Monty had a near-quality start. Bullpen was perfect, and we had a guy on second or better in seven innings. It sucks not to drive him in, um, but, you know, that's kind of the way it goes. I think uh, Sam's comment kind of cut off, but I know what he was what he was getting at there. Yeah, those things will happen throughout a season. I and you mentioned it didn't hurt as bad as most losses, and uh, I asked Ollie a question. You might have heard it on TV that I was like, "Oh, that came out wrong," because what I said was, um, "Does it take a little bit of the sting out of having a game like this, knowing that you had just had you know seven or eight days where you did come through with runners in scoring position, and that that bugaboo that's kind of off your backs a little bit? It's not a thing anymore. This is maybe just a one-off and, and a thing that happens throughout a season." Because for a while, it was like when he was answering questions about anything that was going wrong, be it the pitching, be it the runners with scoring position, uh, ability to perform in the clutch, like those were kind of testy subjects, obviously, and sore subjects for a Cardinals team that continued to struggle in those areas. So like that's the point I was trying to make. Like, hey, it's not a thing anymore for your team to to feel the weight of that every day. So does does it make it a little easier to swallow, I think is what I said. And, and obviously, right after I said that, I'm like, well, that's a dumb way to ask that. Of course, he's going to say no, um, because it, it hurts to lose anytime you lose. And uh, the question I asked to, Mont to Montgomery, I forget even what it was, but he ended it up with, uh, oh, I, I basically was asking him if it was, you know, if he took anything away from being able to have a better start than the one he had in Chicago, because he got knocked around there, and at least he was competitive and kept his team in the game in this one. And he basically said, maybe tomorrow I'll be able to take some of the good away from it, but I, tonight I'm pissed off. So I, I made two people mad with their answers. Now, Ollie wasn't mad, but he he I, he was correct to say like, well, no, he doesn't take the. Uh, it's not easier to swallow ever to lose a game. 
But you guys hopefully knew what I meant. Uh, hopefully he knew what I meant. But, uh, you know, you ask a thousand questions, it probably a couple hundred of them are going to come out dumb, maybe more. And that was the night I had at the ballpark. So uh, how about y'all? <laughs> um, but it's funny that Samuel says that because that's exactly the way I was trying to, to mean it. Like, it doesn't sting as bad as some of those losses when you're piling up eight in a row. It can't possibly, right? To to have the, the week y'all just had, it, you know, it's one of those games. The the mood was not so somber in the clubhouse. Uh, Monty was, was, you know, a little forlorn because he didn't get any damn run support again. And uh, he knew that there was a couple of pitches that if he, he had taken away, he might have been able to get his team a win tonight or at least uh, have an opportunity to do so. Uh, he said he's not really too concerned about the curveball that was taken yard. He gave up those two solo home runs. The curveball, they were both on first pitches. The curveball was one that he thought was a pretty decent pitch toward the bottom of the zone. He didn't have a lot that he was regretful about with that pitch, um, but basically says if they're swinging first pitch, like typically that's going to benefit the pitcher, um, especially when you're throwing breaking ball that, you know, unless he's sitting on it, which I guess he would have been, but how often can you sit first pitch breaker? Uh, and then the fastball, the sinker that got taken, uh, he said, yeah, maybe that fastball was one I wish I, I had back just because it's it, it's not that he wasn't trying to throw a competitive pitch, but he was trying to get one over to get ahead in the count and maybe gave it too much of the plate, and that ended up being one that he uh, he regretted. But otherwise, yeah, Monty was not terrible. He was fine tonight. Uh, the bullpen, I think, was a positive. You don't really take that away because they, they weren't able to win the game. But, yeah, Hicks looked good. Palante got a clean inning, and so did Verhagen, which is good. He has, has struggled a little bit recently, so nice to get him out there. Yeah, I mean, they had a chance to win this game. We'd be feeling a lot better about it if they had won it. We'd be talking about the fact that it's great for the bullpen to keep a minute the way they did, and then they're rewarded at the end, and it's a storybook ending. You don't always have those endings. Cardinals fans know that all too well based on the way this season has gone. But I agree with you, Sam. It just wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. Um the, the thing that makes it a big deal, though, is the fact that it does come against Milwaukee, and it's a two-game swing every time you lose to them um, because if you if you had beat them, you're five-and-a-half back. Now you're seven-and-a-half back and uh, really trying to to make sure it doesn't get any any more far gone than that when you face them tomorrow. Corn mentions if those were strikes, then Valley has a serious K-zone problem. I don't know what it is, and, like, it's not that I don't trust the graphic, but sometimes I go, I look at my eyes, I look with my eyes, and I say, that's not a strike. The the ball damn near hit him in the elbow, one of those pitches. That's too high. That cannot be a strike to Brendan Donovan. To me, it just can't be. And so if StatCast says it is, I thought their box looked too wide. How about that? Um, but, no, I I respect all the data, and I respect the StatCast, and I, it's very valuable. As baseball fans and media, we get to, to learn a lot from that stuff. But I also don't have a problem saying, no, I watched the game. I watched it unfold. I went back and even rewatched it to make sure I, I wasn't, you know, missing something. And th- th- they weren't strikes. I, I, I don't think you can call that high pitch a strike. And a lot of fans pointed this out. Those didn't seem to be strikes earlier in the night. And so I don't know what it was, if it was the, the break on the pitch, the style, the movement, the way that guy um, gets zipping through the zone, if the umpire just got – got fooled on it or a stat cast got fooled on it. Like I said, I just didn't think they were strikes either. But yeah, uh, we I, I do have to recognize that just because it looks like something on the Bally strike box doesn't mean that's accurate. Um, theirs is a little smaller maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, it, but it seems like a lot of times those are pretty accurate when it comes to the low strike in the, uh, the corners. But the high strike might be one where there's some discrepancy 
Um, but you would think that that whatever Bally uses and whatever MLB you know game day app uses, that also said those pitches were out of zone. Um, but you'd think they could get in sync with Statcast and have it all be the same. But alas, that's not the world we live in. Don't know how these guys keep it together with some of those calls, though. That's why uh, they're pros and they keep their cool. It was weird, man. The Donovan at bat was weird. I was sometimes I do go for a little walk uh, on the concourse. I, I snap a couple of pictures, like I got that Arenado picture that you see below my face here in the video screen. Uh, I like to do that throughout the game sometimes and get my steps in. I did get my steps in today, so that was good. But um, in in so doing, I ended up. Oh, sitting, uh, you know, plenty of empty seats at Bush. I don't know. It's it's school's not not completely out yet. It's a weekday game. That's the way it is. That's you know, pro sports in twenty twenty three. A lot of empty seats. It's what it is. Um, life is expensive these days, and it's not easy to get your family out to games. That's the reality. Uh, so it didn't surprise me. But I, I grabbed an empty seat there along the uh, first baseline, and so I didn't have a perfect angle watching them live. But I just thought the way Donovan reacted and the way the umpire, man, those first two strike calls were so slow. I just, it was weird to me. And I didn't think they were strikes. And then I went back and watched. And sure enough, they they still didn't seem to be. Um, but I digress. Uh, Einstein says he that you commented on the Jeff Jones tweet, which is what I initially saw, too, of the, uh, of the strike box. And I think that's, you know, StatCast or Baseball Savant. It's all the same thing. But Einstein adds, if you go to the live 3D tab, it will show those pitches as balls when you mouse over them. Um, the 2D zone does not consider the Donovan crouch that lowers the zone, which it which it should. And so I I don't I'll have to ask Jeff about that if he if he subscribes to that or if he had known that aspect of it um, because I know he always looks at Savant and I just kind of I look at game day or whatever I see. Um, I have Savant pulled up at certain times, but it's usually like my computer. I always complain about my computer, but my computer is running so slow that I try to minimize the tabs during the game. And Savant takes up a lot of uh, creative energy, I guess, for my laptop because I always find that I run slower when I have it up. So I'll have to ask Jeff about that. But yeah, I just, again, and it's not anything about Jeff or anything about Savant or anything. I just watched it. And so I am stubborn like that. And like I said, I'm not a data hater or anything like that, but I, I those weren't strikes to me. So there you are. Laborer88 says, Monty wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Yep, that is exactly how I would describe it tonight. Like, he was good if you take away those two, you know, pitches that get hit for homers, but you don't get to do that. And he knows that, and that's why he was, he said, you know, tonight I'm pissed because I didn't get, didn't get it done for my team. So he knows that. Um, And, and yeah, if you could... If you could take away two pitches every outing, you know, life would be a lot better for pitchers. But this, in this case, it was the difference as the Cardinals, they couldn't score. Like, I don't pin it on Monty for, for not getting the quality start and for, you know, giving up the three runs. Cardinals got to be able to score more than two on on most nights, right? I, it is one of those things where do you expect six runs every game? No. Do you expect 18 runs every game? Certainly not. But also, when you get that many guys on base – those are the nights where you do feel a little more and say, hey, there was opportunity here. It's not like we just got beat by a better pitcher or whatever. We were getting guys on base and getting them into scoring position even and just not able to bring them home. That's the that's the bummer of it all, honestly. Uh, the Brewers' bullpen is now gassed. Uh, even if we don't hit Burns all that well, if we work good long at bats, we can find or can get to a very tired 
bullpen. Yeah, and I think that's tricky because with Burns, if he's pouring it into the strike zone, you you get a little backwards and think, oh, I got to take pitches. But if he's throwing strikes, like there's nothing you can really do. You got to be aggressive in your counts and 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 on your pitches if you're the Cardinal lineup. And so I think an era of aggression. When I asked Arenado that tonight, you know, he said if we can get to Burns early, that'll be something we're able to, you know, to to enjoy by being able to to face a bullpen that's going to be a little worn out. And so I think that's more the way he sees it as still got to be aggressive against Burns, but selective as well. It's a it's a balancing act. It is, and it's one that the Cardinals were horrible at in April. I mean, to think about some of the times where they it seemed like, and I talked about this a lot. It seemed like they would get their pitch and take it and just be a little bit off balance on on not being ready for the moment. And then it might have been the best pitch they would see in the A.B. And then later on, they'd be, you know, swinging at pitches that were, were out of the zone. And so they were just a little bit backwards and mixed up with their approach, I think, at times. Um, I've seen a lot of improvement in that lately. But tonight, yeah, you maybe backslide a little bit. Um, and then there were some weird things with the strike zone, too. So. Corn says, missing the days when there was no K-Zone, just vibes. Yeah, I remember not liking the K-Box when it came up for the first time on the broadcast, and now it's been around for so long that we just get used to it. But for me, it's like, if it's going to be there, it better be right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it better at least be accurate. So the fact that there's discrepancy kind of annoys me, honestly. Samuel says, the top of the zone is midway between the top of the shoulders and the top of the pants. In my opinion, the K-Zone on TV does not quite go high enough. I agree, especially as I was watching the uh, the Donovan at bat a couple of times over, rewinding. I was like, that is kind of a very stubby little box. It should probably be a little longer than that uh, vertically. But that being said, I still think it was high. I think these pitches were high. I don't think you can call those pitches strikes, but he did, and that's the way it went. Um Einstein asked, any news on a corresponding roster move for Libby getting pulled up? Anything on Barrera's future since Contreras is now catching? Yeah, nothing official, but I think you're going to see a lot of moves tomorrow. You could still see you could still see Moises Gomez, honestly, tomorrow in St. Louis. Um, they, they didn't need him today, but the Dylan thing is still kind of looming. And so if he does go on the IL, I think Gomez is the move, uh, and, and he would come up. Would have been nice to see him against their uh, lefty today, but again, he didn't end up pitching anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I would say, uh, yeah, there could be some moves, you, a few ways you could go with this, though, right? Because you don't really need Dylan to go on the IL to add elsewhere. Um, but Moises Gomez would be somebody that could make sense to come up, give you a little more coverage in the outfield. They had two infielders in the outfield today. We understand why with the matchup against the lefty and, and uh, what they wanted to do with Edmund. And then, honestly, for me, if you've got Edmund in right and you've made your decision that uh, it's kind of like a flow chart. If Contreras is DHing, that means Kisner is behind the plate and, uh, well, I guess I should have said that backwards. If Kisner is catching, that means Contreras is DHing, which means that Gorman is playing second, which means that against a lefty, you still need to figure out a way to get Tommy Edmond in there. Um, and they could have just played Edmond at second and not played Gorman, but I think they wanted to give him this crack against Wade Miley because he's a somewhat hittable lefty. Uh, you don't have to deal with, like, high velocity or anything like that. And so it made sense to give Gorman the opportunity, assuming he would have pitched all game, which he didn't. Um, but then once you commit to Gorman at second, okay, it's Edmund in right field to make sure he's in the lineup. And Newt Barr's got to play center because Dylan's injured, which is why you have more lefties in the lineup typically than you would. Otherwise, he would have been in there uh, batting from the, the right side against Miley. And then you look at left field. That's the one spot you got to figure out still. And you go, okay, uh, to put 
Yepes out there. I mean, he could hit a lefty. That would make sense. But you really want an outfield of Edmund in right, not very familiar. Newpar in center, who's not your number one center fielder, even though he's athletic enough to do it, obviously. And then Yepes, who hasn't really been performing offensively anyway. Uh, yeah, so they wanted Donovan out there because I think he does cover more ground and plays a better left field than Yepes. So that's kind of the reverse engineering, as I saw it, of the lineup on Tuesday. Uh, but then, as far as the moves for Wednesday, I think you could see Moises Gomez, especially if Dylan goes on the IL. Trace Barrera, as you mentioned, doesn't really need to be here anymore. Um, so what do you what do you do with that spot? You also have James Nail, who pitched the two innings yesterday and could certainly uh, be the move on the pitching side, right? Um, he was kind of the long reliever, the guy you you use if it's a you know you're up big or down big. Fortunately, it was up big when they used him yesterday. But I would say Nail is probably the move because everybody else in your bullpen has kind of more defined roles, and so it's it's going to likely be Nail. Um, and I guess, I don't know if they have to DFA him. I guess they wouldn't have to. They could keep him on the 40-man, um, unless I'm speaking out of turn with that. But also long-term, I don't know if they, not to not to be offensive to, uh, to James Nail, who has done a nice job with the Cardinals over the last week and a half that he was here. Um, they they probably can pass him through waivers and, and bring him back up the next time they need him, just to, based on precedent, right? That's what happened the last time they DFA'd him. Um, I think like on his birthday or right after his birthday or whatever it was. So that was kind of a bummer for James Nail. But I think he can still probably pass through and, and maybe be okay. So I assume it'll be him on the pitching side. We'll see. It could just be Barrera. They could decide we need James Nail because, you know, we're going to have a six-man rotation. We don't want to go a man short. Um, but the problem with that is I don't know if legally they can do that. I think they have to have 13 and 13 in the 26-man roster era. So I might have spoke out of turn on that one. We'll see, though, Einstein. I think you could see a couple moves tomorrow, though, uh, pending the Dylan situation. But, yeah, you're right. Barrera has been a break glass in case of emergency type of guy off your bench right now. Um, it's really only a situation where, like, if you pinch hit for Kisner, and I didn't even notice if if uh, what happened tonight. I guess I should look. Yeah, Barrera came in to catch. That was really the only situation in which you would use him uh, it, based on their actions, right? Like, they didn't use him. They didn't let him start even one game when Wilson was uh, down for the count, uh, being sidelined from catching duties. They didn't have Barrera start at all. And so the situation we saw tonight where you pinch hit for Kisner and then you have to have a catcher come in, and if you don't want to lose the DH, you can't bring Contreras in. Before, it was because they didn't want him to catch. Now it's because you don't want to lose the DH. But, yeah, other than that, there's really no major use for a third catcher unless you expect that, you know, Kisner's going to be playing a ton and is going to need to be pinch hit for a ton, in which case you'd have to to burn the DH. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to have that third catcher. So we'll see, but that's kind of my thoughts on that. Keep an eye on the possibility of Moises Gomez, though. Brock, what's going on, man? He says, hey, Brendan, if Libby pitches well while he's up, Will he potentially push someone else out of the rotation, or could he go, or could the Cardinals go to a six-man rotation for an extended time? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before in the in the stream. I think if he pitches well, the Cardinals are not a team with the luxury of saying, "Okay, see ya, thanks for thanks for your service, but we don't need you anymore." Unless the entire rotation is rolling, I just don't think they could do that. So we're, we're operating again under the hypothetical of he pitches well. That's what we're going to assume. 
And if he does that, I think he stays. Whether that means in the interim you've seen Steven Matz backslide and they can move him to a bullpen role, or whether that means somebody else gets injured, I don't know. I think the third option there is if everything else stays constant and they don't have anybody obvious to take out, which I just don't think right now. You've got a bunch of veterans who are pitching okay-ish, right? Like, it's it doesn't scream, remove this guy. I know Matt's did there for a while. I know for a minute there you might have thought Flaherty would too, but that was never going to happen because the upside with him still exists as we saw last night. So in that case, yeah, I think there would be an argument to be made for a six-man rotation. They could modify at that point when you get off days reintroduced. What they could do is say, okay, this is how we want to line it up this week, and you can shift guys around and play with it some. But, yeah, I think if he pitches well, he stays. Um, I know the Cardinals have not loved the the six-man rotation in the past, but you don't have an ace this year, and so there's really no reason not to do it if it's going well. Um for Libby. So I think he does have an opportunity and I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see what he's able to do with it. Uh, Samuel says, I think the K don't K zone does a disservice to a lot of things. The art of catching the job of umpiring the difference in the heights of the batters. Yeah. It's just kind of a constant thing and you can't realistically rely upon that when the strike zone does change. Like it has to change uh, to some extent based on the, how, how big the guys are. I think for tall batters, they oftentimes don't penalize them too much by raising it all that much. But, like, the bottom of the zone is going to stay pretty consistent. Like, even the tall guys versus the short guys, where their knees are, um, is is the, it's only going to change so much. But when you got long, you know, upper bodies and torsos and those, those sorts of things, an Aaron Judge versus an Altuve, it's got to be different. You saw those guys standing on second base in that, that viral picture several years ago. It's got, you know, it's got to be different. So, yeah, I agree. I don't like the K-Zone. I wish it wouldn't be on the uh, on the screen, but, hey, it is. A lot of, like, hey, it is, deal with it kind of talk tonight, unfortunately. Uh, Brent wants to know more about Mason Wynn's time frame to, uh, to a potential big league call-up. I don't know, man. Let me look at his numbers first so I don't speak out of turn on on saying he's been doing this or that when I don't really know. Like, offensively, he's kind of been meh relative to... I mean, he's got five homers. He's heating up, for sure, because he he kind of was uh, had a little bit of a slow stretch there, as I recall. So for him now to be at 744 OPS, that's good. He's major league ready. I mean, he is defensively. Uh, he could have those numbers and, and bring it up in OPS 700. He'd be about league average probably, right? He's got five homers. He's got 11 steals. He's an exciting player. There's no doubt about that. And is honestly, I'm impressed looking at his strikeout rate. Only 37 strikeouts, which you say only in 182 PAs. That's about a third of a season. Uh, well, I guess it's not. I guess it's about a fourth of a season when you get into the big leagues in terms of games played, 38. But 182 plate appearances, that's about a, a, a third to a third and a half of a season. And so he's only averaging, a, you know, about 100, maybe a little more than 100 strikeouts if you were to, to sample that out over a full season, which, again, kind of impressive. Like, you rarely do you see guys that play full seasons and strike out fewer than 100 times. When they do it, I feel like it's notable. It's like Albert Pujols. I don't think ever did it because he was such a good discipline hitter. But it's something that you don't see as much anymore. So I kind of like that, that he's not striking out a ton. Uh, and he's showing good plate discipline, good on-base ability, uh, 346 OBP for uh for Mason Wynn down in AAA. The reality though is for Wynn, 
there isn't anywhere to put him right now. It's the same thing with Jordan Walker when it pertains to the outfield. There's nowhere to put him. And so I think Wynn's time frame is maybe about what Walker's is. Hopefully not. Like, Walker's got easier path to playing time than Wynn does. But when you've got Tommy Edmond and when you've got Gorman uh, doing what those guys are, are doing, like, they've both been fantastic. Edmond's got seven hits in the past three days and has risen that OPS to 806. If Tommy Edmond OPS is 800, he is one of the most valuable players in baseball given what I expect him to do defensively, even if he's been off to a, a bit of a rocky start with his defense so far this year, I know what Tommy Edmond is defensively. And so I'll be stubborn and say he remains a plus defender, especially when he's playing a lot of second base. So I, it's just, it's hard to find the room for win unless he's beating the door down with like a 900 OPS down there, which again, if he keeps going on the trajectory, he's up to 744 Now I know he was lower than that previously. So maybe it's possible that he ends up uh, doing something like that and enforcing the issue. I don't know if he gets up this year, Brent, with injuries, he would. Like, if Paul DeYoung comes up injured, you could make a case that Wynn should come up that day. If if Tommy Edmond comes up injured, you could make a case that Wynn should slot right into the exact role that he was playing if the offense continues to be what it's been for Wynn recently, uh, where he's been able to rise the OPS to the mid-750s, um, showing some good play discipline, things of that nature. Will the Cardinals do that? I don't know. I don't know. Um the other factor is a 40-man move, but uh, not to minimize a guy because of his injury, but Jose Fermin, you you could punt him off the bridge if you had to, so to speak. Um, they've got enough middle infielders, and he's not a, he's a light-hitting middle infielder um, who is never going to be Mason Wynn def- uh, offensively and may not be him defensively either. So I, I just don't think there, there's a redundancy there that you could fix if you needed to get Mason Wynn onto the 40-man. That would be probably a way to do it. Again, not to, I, I hate to speak that way because the guy's injured. That's why he hasn't been able to to prove himself and show himself. And he is a younger guy. For me, he's only like 23, 24. Um, you know, the Cardinals obviously liked him enough to pick him up when they did. But I just don't really think that uh, that he is uh, at a position where they desperately need him on the 40-man if they decide they need the spot. So, uh, But that's kind of my thoughts on Mason Wynn. He's been good. I, I said he was kind of meh offensively. That's not really fair. Um that's what he had been. But then when you consider the fact that he's been able to uh, increase those numbers a little bit, as I guess I can kind of show you what we're looking at with Mason Wynn here, um, with what he's been able to do as we uh, add that to the stream. There's his numbers there, you know, 260 batting average, OPS 744, which is solid. Um, It's the five home runs. Like that's a 15 home run pace, 15 to 20. So he's showing some pop. He's got the speed, the athleticism. I feel like he's a guy that that he's he's going to be a dude when he gets to the big leagues. I really do believe that. And that might mean, you know, OPS 750. He can be a dude and be one of the best defensive shortstops if he continues to apply himself in those areas. We know the raw skills are there for Mason Wynn defensively. He can OPS 750 to 760 and be a very, very valuable shortstop for the Cardinals. Um, kind of up the Tommy Edmund ilk, but I, I would say that with the arm strength and the things that Wynn can do, athletically uh, I think more of an upside at shortstop defensively than Edmund does but I'm not I'm not looking to trade a Tommy Edmund but I am also saying that it's going to impact wins time frame unless there's an injury um, but ne- longest it could be is he'll be with the big league club opening day next year I do believe that if he continues to progress because I as much as DeYoung I think can still have a good year he's not going to be with the team next year more than likely um, just based on the trends of the way things have gone 
for him historically. He'll level out a little bit. Hopefully, he's still productive. But is he going to be productive enough to pick up that option? I don't think so. And so Mason Wynn will be, I mean, that's exciting to think about. When you look at this Cardinals team, and they've still got some more good years with Arenado and Goldie, and I think you re-sign Goldie when his contract comes up. It would, you'd be insane not to um, let him finish as a Cardinal. Uh, and if he plays with enough longevity, that's a potentially Hall of Fame career. I know he's kind of was a little older when he got his start, but Goldschmidt has been uh, the pinnacle of first base play for years and years and years in the National League. So you want to get him long-term. Arenado's only 32, I think, so... You get those two guys, Gorman elevating into a guy that's that's doing what he's doing right now. Add Walker and Wynn to that. Add Contreras to that because he's going to be a guy that's around for the next four years beyond this one. And suddenly you've got, I mean, I've, I haven't even mentioned guys like Brendan Donovan yet and, and Lars Nupar. Like this team offensively with the core that they've got, you've got young guys that blend so seamlessly with the two veterans that are in their, uh, getting into their mid-30s. That's going to be dangerous for years. If the Cardinals can figure out the damn pitching thing, this team has a bright future. You know, John Mozeliak is kind of handing over the baton within the next couple of years, whether it's Randy Flores, Mike Gersh, somebody else that takes over uh, kind of remains to be seen. But I'm telling you, within the next two years or so, you're going to see that that transition uh, begin to formulate. But whoever it is is going to have a really interesting situation with some very, very good offensive players and skill position players. I said skill position. It's like I'm doing a fantasy football podcast. Uh, position players will be very interesting to see uh, what they're able to do to, to fix the pitching, honestly. Maybe those prospects all come up and they're great and the Cardinals are the Braves for the next, you know, five, ten years. Like Atlanta has sort of uh, been able to, to find the mold of just calling guys up and, and making things happen. Position player-wise, there's a lot to be excited about for the Cardinals, and Mason Wynn will kind of be, I won't say the final piece of that, but they've graduated a lot of the guys recently um, that you expect them to graduate, and uh, Wynn is kind of the last frontier, along with Walker being up permanently, that that the Cardinals will be able to enjoy for uh, for a long time to come, hopefully. Uh, Mo said we have six starters, yep. And Dakota Hudson is right there, guys. Do not fret. Yeah, I don't know if Dakota's been pitching a lot. I haven't looked at his numbers recently in uh, in Memphis to really to really know. I th- I think he might have had a minor injury, but I haven't been able to. I say I haven't been able to. I haven't given it the time to find out. Um, I want Dakota to do well, but it's just man, his his career has taken the wrong turn, uh, and the pitch clock is is something that I thought would would maybe impact him this year. But he just didn't look like himself in spring. And it's it's unfortunate because he did. He did some really good things that in that one year that he won the rotation spot over like, uh, I don't know, it was like John Gant and a couple other guys uh, out of spring. Ran away with it. But since then and, and since Tommy John, he's just not looked uh, very strong. Uh, Burns against St. Louis is 4-4 four and four lifetime. Last four starts, he went seven innings in each start. Um, yeah, don't look at the record. <laughs> the four and four record is not one, you know, one that that pertains to the way he's actually pitched against the Cardinals. I want to say the ERA is pretty low. Um, he's had some hard luck losses he's taken against STL. Maybe had a couple games where the Cardinals got to him, but mostly, as I recall, it's been hard luck. Um, I know we've had a few people cycling through. Let's see if we can at least get thirty likes on the stream tonight. Um, we've got twenty nine of you still in here hanging out, so. 
couple more likes would be sick if you'd be able to do that for me. Samuel was surprised when Bally said that Williams hadn't inherited any runners before tonight. He's the, quote, best reliever, but has never used as a high-leverage guy as a fireman. Yeah, I mean, they maybe have just been able to stick to uh, him in closing situations, Sam. I think that's a, a good point, though. It's, I didn't know that, actually, because I was at the game and was not uh, listening locked into the broadcast, so I did not realize that. But, uh, yeah, and that was kind of the line of thought in the postgame, too. I know Derek Gould asked Ollie about it, like, Knowing he's got to get five outs and he's not a guy that's been used that way before very often, if ever, um, does that give you guys an advantage? And all he was kind of like, I mean, yeah, we like our chances, honestly, but obviously we didn't come through. So Ethan says, what's next year's rotation? This is getting more fun now to talk about, actually, because you this is what Ethan put. Michaelis, Matt's Libertor, Zach Thompson, Graceffo. Yeah, it's more fun to talk about now because you have the notion of Zach Thompson potentially being in the mix, whereas before... He was kind of in that relief role, and I was worried he would be destined for that for life, and they would never give him the chance. I like that they're going to stretch him out and see if he can start because if he throws 100, touches 100 as a reliever, he can throw mid-90s as a starter, and he's got good stuff, and he's a former first-round pick. So if you can have Libertor, Zach Thompson, two former top picks, um, you know Michaelis is going to be in there because they paid him to be. Steven Matz, you know, yeah, he's probably in there. That's three lefties, though, and so I would say that's too many. You, you you would definitely not want a fourth lefty. And so Graceffo could be. Uh, Michael McGreevy, don't count him out. Um, yeah, those are definite possibilities. I do think Montgomery and Flaherty go in free agency. I've already been open about that. I just have a gut feel on it. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. We can get into the reasons, but it's not like I have anything definitive. I just think they'll be, I think they'll be getting contracts elsewhere. Uh, and, and, and I do expect this to be Wainwright's last year. You're not going to see any like surprise comeback thing unless he pitches really well. But I mean, right now he's kind of middling through a couple of starts. It's early though for him, just two starts. Um, but yeah, I think, I think what you laid out there, Ethan is pretty accurate to expectations, but I would say don't count McGreevy out, um, necessarily trying to think if there's anybody else I'm forgetting. Like, obviously, they could trade for somebody or sign somebody. I, I'm sure they will, too. Um, they're not going to go in with three guys that weren't in this year's rotation and have been uh, in Memphis. They're not going to go in next year with all of those guys in the rotation or at least planning to be without some sort of you know spring injury. They will add from the outside. I would like to see it be a trade because I think you, you end up like paying too many veterans at one time you kind of see that now, like Monty's getting 10 mil Flaherty's in arbitration, getting whatever he's getting. Um, Michaelis and Matt's are signed. Wainwright's got a, a solid hefty contract for this year. You're paying your whole rotation. It's hard. It's kind of like the quarterback in the NFL. If, if you don't, if you got him on the rookie contract, you're able to do some other things with your roster. And especially if he's good, right? And now if you have a good rotation and you've got some guys that are that are pre-ARB or, or just early stages of ARB, you can do some other things with your payroll. And again, the DeWitts, they've got the money. They could always spend more than they do. But let's operate within the confines that they're going to use. They're not always going to spend big. You know that. I know that. And they certainly know that. So if we want to talk about payroll constraints, we don't really mean constraints, but like realistically what we expect from them, they are constraints. If they, Even if they're self-imposed, they're still considered constraints. And so if you've got a whole rotation that you have to pay and you're not getting production from those cheaper 
uh, more affordable starters that are earlier on pre-arb and the like, it limits what you're going to do with the rest of that roster. And so it would be nice to see them with a couple of cheaper, uh, more affordable rotation pieces next year to be able to then look at the payroll and go, okay, we can afford to give out the extensions that maybe we'd like to, to guys like if it's Tommy Edmond or if it's Nolan Gorman or if it's whoever, right? Like do some of those things. Um, that would be, that would be nice to kind of sit in Lars Newpar is another great example. Um, you know, Dylan Carlson, probably not at this point in time, but, uh, you know, maybe if he, he continues to improve and look good at the plate, you never do know. But yeah, I think that would be nice to see Ethan from that rotation. I do think they'll get one guy from the outside. I'd like it to be a trade, but then again, I also probably wouldn't, uh, look at it being very favorable to stomach who they would have to give up to make that trade. So Maybe it is another free agent. I, I, I Too early to speculate who that might be. Um, Laborer says uh, more stat line on uh, Corbin Burns against the Cardinals. 28 innings, 15 hits, four runs. Is that right? I assume you're talking Burns still. 32 strikeouts and four walks. Uh, okay, but did you see that one time when Newt took Burns 452 feet deep? Wasn't that epic? We got him in the bag. That's uh, your little confidence boost from Einstein on facing Burns tomorrow. And the Cardinals do have their work cut out for him. He's Corbin Burns. I will make sure to put him in on fantasy because it seems like every time the Cardinals face a starter that I have in fantasy and I forget him on my bench, he shoves. Alcantara did it before. It's it's like clockwork that this happens. Um, but then when I put him in the lineup, maybe he sucks and my fantasy team loses. Uh, but y'all will be happy because the Cardinals will maybe have success. So there's that. Okay. The grave of Einstein adding that Graceffo is uh, a little bit slow right now at AAA, ERA over six. They might reserve more time for him to cook instead of putting him in day one. Would love to see it. However, he is cool. Yeah, I like Gordon Graceffo. I like Michael McGreevy. I want. I would love to see both those guys crack the rotation in the future and stick around long term. I think they're two good guys, two guys you like to root for. Um, but yeah, if he's struggling in Memphis... I wouldn't pencil in Graceffo for the rotation, but it's fine to struggle in Memphis. It doesn't mean you suck. Uh, like I said, that's a very hitter-oriented league typically, and uh, it's okay not to have immediate success. You would like to see him get acclimated and, and start thriving again, but with the way he pitched last year, I don't think it's a, there's a doubt that he'll be able to do it. Uh, two more likes to get to 30. Would appreciate it if you guys could help me out with that. If you haven't liked it, I know some of you probably haven't. Um, hook that up for me real quick, and subscribe to B-Shape Daily on uh, on Spotify, and subscribe right here on YouTube as well. Uh, da, 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 da. Getting here a little closer toward the end of the comments. Oh, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not, because <laughs> YouTube did it again. They did it again. They've been showing me comments, and then, bam, a bunch more. But I'll try to scroll through and find some of the folks that I have not gotten to tonight as we wrap this thing up here soon. Uh, Ethan says, I think they'll be under 500 at the end of the month, but the schedule then lightens up in June. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, San Francisco, Mets, and Washington should be series wins. I don't know about Mets. Like, they still got talent. They're struggling now, but by the time you play them, it could be different. Um, could honestly see them putting Kisner in tomorrow to make sure Libertor has a better defensive catcher. If they put Contreras in, it's a very interesting situation for him to prove himself. Actually, what was the deal with that? Um, the two guys that raved the most about Contreras in spring were, were Libertor and Wainwright. And those were the two guys that did not get to catch, did not get to pitch to him prior to Wilson going on the shelf. 
So that's kind of interesting. It damn well better be Contreras tomorrow. Nothing against Kiz, but you said he's going to be the everyday guy. You can't then convince me to have it be opposite of that two days in a row. And Kiz is not going to be a good matchup offensively for Burns. So, uh, no, Contreras, I'm going to say the Cardinals do the right thing and Contreras is in there. Newt is one for 10 against Burns, but it, it was a homer. Um, don't love Willie in the, th- the three hole right now. He won't be there tomorrow. He'll be five and Gorman will be three because that's what they do against righties. Um, which you agree with. You wouldn't have liked Gorman there, obviously, if it's a lefty. The Brewers offense has scored five or more in four of five Burns starts. So uh, I don't know that there's anything to that. Like the Cardinals have not gotten run support for Monty. It's kind of randomness. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's like predictive, but I get it. We can look at those things. Um, Corn, I don't understand the uh, the salami snack meme, but I apologize. Who would I put together in a package for Dylan's seats? That's from Anthony. Um, you know, yes, I understand you need an ace like Dylan Cease, and he would be cost-controlled for two more years somewhat. He's in ARB for two more years. Um, you're going to have to package some of those pitching prospects. It would be the Graceffos or the Libertors if they want him or the McGreevies if they want him, or the Zach Thompsons if they want him. Like, they get their pick of the litter of your top probably two pitching prospects and maybe a controllable piece like, I don't know. I think Mason Wynn would be involved. I think the the likes of a Wynn would be involved, and the Cardinals just wouldn't want to do that. Um, If the Cardinals could make trades for pitchers with the guys they want to trade, they would have already done it, right? They would have looked at it and said, oh, you know, the Carlson guy might be a little superfluous right now, although he plays great defense and – we are a, uh, an official hashtag Everyday Dylan podcast. Um, not every day when he's injured, though, obviously. Um, but like the Tyler O'Neills of the world, if they could have traded him for a pitcher, they would have done it by now. I'm telling you guys. Um, they, 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 not that they saw the writing on the wall. They wanted to give him every opportunity to thrive this year. It just didn't happen for Tyler. But I think in the offseason, um, you know, yeah, they would have done a deal like that. Um, Giolito would be a little bit more cost-controlled in terms of uh, – a trade package, yeah, and he would still be a significant upgrade. I haven't seen the way he's been pitching recently. I know he was kind of struggling to begin the year. He's also a free agent to be, though. And so I don't really know that that helps you long-term if you if you can't re-sign him. But, yeah, 386 ERA, he would be a good one to get. But he's also a really good childhood friend or like a, like a prep days friend of Jack Flaherty's. And so it would be kind of awkward if you – bring him in to sort of replace Flaherty in the rotation, like you sign him and not Flaherty. I don't really know if there's anything to that. Um, Yeah, I wasn't talking about the six guys. I was, uh, He was talking about Hudson. Uh, uh, Anthony commenting on the uh, the six starters comment from Mo. Giolito's not an ace, says Anthony. I don't know about that. Tired of settling for guys. We need an ace. Got to stop the bridge gap guys in the walk years. I would try to get Cease and Giolito. Um, that would cost you a lot. Yes, yeah, Cease would be perfect. They've got to get a guy, but you know what? They got to they got to develop the pitchers that you would trade to get a Dylan Cease and have those guys be cost controlled. You can't just turn around and trade your top starting pitching prospects every single time you need to make a move. Um, that's how the Alcantara and the Gallon thing happens. So, honestly, as much as I would say Cease, I wouldn't be desperate to put together a package for him at least right now. Um, just because I know that it's going to be painful. I think you'd do it because there's a window to win a championship right now, and you got to have the ace to do it. Um, and he's he's still affordable for a couple of years, but you'd need to extend him to make it worth it, I think, as well. He's like 27 years old. So 
you'd want to have him long term. I don't know. It's uh, it's tricky because it's going to cost you. It definitely would cost you. Um, wish that Monty could control it a little better when he was cruising, still missing some off speed. Um, yeah, his off speed. This is a stat that John Denton turned me on to. His sinker's been getting, you know, some really good play, like a 190 or 150 or some kind of very good batting average against. But the off speed, the other stuff, the breaking stuff, like a 300 average against coming into tonight. I haven't vetted that, but it was there was a discrepancy was the point. And Monty's like, I don't really know that there's that that makes any sense because I got swing and misses on a lot of my breaking stuff and off speed tonight. But yeah, he wasn't spotting it every time. That's fair. But three runs in five and a third is better than what the Cardinals have been getting from the rotation oftentimes. Yep. They will want a haul for Cease. You know they will. They'll want win and, and, and your top pitching prospects. So if you're okay with that, then that's fine. But just make sure as a Cardinals fan, when you're banging the door for Dylan Cease, understand what it would be. That is that is what it would be. Um, they got so many prospects to package and MLB-ready guys. Chicago is toxic right now. They have players yelling, I hate this place. I haven't seen that, but I need to see it. That's hilarious if that really happened. Um, but Anthony, like you build me the, the the prospect package then and the the major league guys package. And you'll you'll want to put Tommy Edmond in there and I say no, I don't think I'm doing that. Um I, but I understand too, if you can get your ace, you get your ace. Um but like you're not gonna trade Newpar or Gorman, right? You don't want to do that. Um people dumping on Tommy Edmond, I think, is a mistake. He's OPSing eight hundred, one of the better hitters on the team this season. Um not to say Anthony was gonna do that, but just historical precedent. I've seen a lot of it. Thank you guys for getting us to 30 likes, by the way. Fandom says they're not going to want MLB-ready players, right? They might they might want prospects. So um, that's going to be your Mason wins of the world. You don't know what the hell they want. Do you work for them? Uh, we're getting chippy in the comments. I like that. Anderson wants out of there. Cardinals don't need a shortstop, so don't talk to me about Tim Anderson, please. I can't do it. I can't do it. They already have a, a kind of a, uh, a log jam there. The grave of Einstein thinks there's a good idea for a trade if Dustin May for Flaherty, Paul DeYoung, and Jake Walsh sounds right in my head. But isn't Dustin May still team controlled for a couple more years? They don't want they don't want that. Flaherty is, you know, they can sign Flaherty. They don't need to trade Dustin May for him. And Jake Walsh is not a guy, is not a guy that that's going to you know be considered valuable in a trade to the the Dodgers. No offense to Jake Walsh, but like he's not an it prospect or anything like that. Uh, the Cardinals have five top 100 prospects. They do. Several of them pitchers. Um, the other are Walker and Wynn. You going to trade those guys? I don't think so. I don't think you want to. Uh, Kenneth says he means fire Matheny from the Royals. Um, well, that happens as well. If that's if that's if if you're still talking about Matheny, yeah, he's been fired from there too. Blake, what's up, my man? He's in some fantasy base, uh, football leagues with me. Was about to say, feels historically like the Cardinals have struggled when a starter leaves early. I expected them to get on Miley early, and it looked like it was trending that way. Yeah, and and uh, I think it would have trended that way. It's just like when they leave early because of an injury, now it's like everybody, you know, sometimes when they leave early, it's because you're up 8-1 to one or whatever. But this time it was because of an injury, and they, they the vibe was just different. They hadn't gotten into their full rhythm yet and the chance to do it, and so that kind of threw things off. And Monty, yeah, maybe they left him in a little bit too long with the way the fifth inning went, but I just think... He was he was pretty well fine overall, and it was a couple of pitches that got away from him. But then again, you give up eight hits, only one walk, but seven Ks. Like, I don't know. I think the answer was to remove him. I, we haven't had a lot of anger about that on the stream, which I appreciate, guys, not being too angry about tonight's loss. 
I do think the right move would have been to take him out. And the bullpen ended up shoving, so it would have made maybe made sense in retrospect as well from that perspective. But I just think when you have a rested bullpen like you did, if you can keep that game tied, like go to Geo, go to Helsley, go to everybody. You know, they ended up using Palante and Verhagen because they were down by a run. But go to all of those guys and try to win this game. This game means a lot, and you may not get the opportunity to use those guys tomorrow against Burns anyway. If uh, you know your starting gives up a couple few runs and you're you're playing from behind again, so that would have been the way I maybe would have liked to have seen Ollie Marmel approach this game tonight. But I understand why they they wanted to try and get one more out of uh, Montgomery because we have talked ad nauseum about needing six plus innings from the starters, and so they tried to squeeze it out of him and they they couldn't get it done. I think the score doesn't tell the whole story of the offense tonight. Lots of hard contact and like you said, base runners. Uh, that's a good point by Blake as well. And Hicks has been better lately. Another point by Blake that I agree. Um, Einstein says another trade in his head is Hicks to the Rockies. Super fast and moving stuff that doesn't rely on spin. Uh, he's 100th percentile in velo, but 11th percent in spin. Yeah, maybe that in, in the altitude won't impact things then. Um, yeah, there could be something to that. Got, a lot of guys don't like throwing their curveball at cores because um, it, it just behaves differently. So, wouldn't be a factor for Hicks, who uh, is basically, you know, sinker slider. Anthony convinced that Dylan Cease is the guy that we need. You don't even know if he's going to pay you. Uh, no, I don't know if the guy on Twitter is going to pay me. If somebody on Twitter told you, hey, I'll give you $1,000 on Venmo if this happens, you think you just assume that he's going to pay you? Hell no. I assume he's going to say no, just kidding, even if it happens, but... Um, I at least want to see that play out just so we can find out. Uh, do the Cardinals have enough per cease? That's from fandom. Yeah, they do, but it'll cost you. So do they want to do it? I don't know. Will, you did miss the explanation. Uh, do they want to pay those guys? Do they want to to give the wins and the, the Graceffos and the McGreevies? Like, do they want to pay the price it'll get to get them in prospects? Um, I don't know is what I meant by that. Uh, Will did miss the explanation on Libby starting tomorrow, but I'll give you the short version, and you can scroll back and watch this or listen on Spotify tomorrow. Um, but the short version, Will, is that the Brewers lineup has performed lesser against lefty pitching this year. Um, the OPS is about 618, I think, and so there's a matchup advantage, and they've got no off days uh, or, or few off days over the next few weeks, and so they want to basically um, – Try to try to give everybody a little bit of an extra breather in the rotation, uh, and and by so doing, it makes sense because you don't have an ace this year, and so it's not like you've got that one guy that goes, "Ooh, do I really want to go six days between starts for him?" You don't have that guy, so that's kind of the short version of why Libby's uh, starting tomorrow, and he's earned it, right? So that's another factor, bro. If you don't think we have enough for Cease, you're crazy. Cards got top ten farm system. Every trade for a star has been based around prospects. And MLB-ready guys. They have those guys. Will they want to give up what it costs is the question that I'm not comfortable answering. Uh, Good morning, Brendan. Sore result to wake up to from Grand Slam Scotty. Glad Libby is getting a call eventually. Uh, Just need to beat Burns for the series win. Yeah, it's easy. Nothing to it, right? And um, Blake agrees that O'Neal is definitely gone sometime this season. For Oh, never mind. I thought he was going to say gone after the season or uh, after this contract is up, like his team control, I think he's got one more year. I don't know that O'Neal right now looks like a guy they're going to re-sign. Um, but Blake says they're going to get starting pitching help for him, whether it's Cease or somebody else. 
I disagree with you, and here's why: they don't want C- they don't want Tyler O'Neill for Dylan Seats. They they're they're a team in disarray. Tyler O'Neill's got one more year, and then he's a free agent. Tyler O'Neill is not a piece that will get traded for starting pitching help. Not not meaningful starting pitching help anyway. Like, if it was, that would have already happened. That is my belief. I don't think that's a, a, a deal that happens midseason. Like, why is somebody going to give you Dylan Cease in a package involving Tyler O'Neill when he's? It just doesn't make sense. He's he's not hitting. He's not healthy. Um. Yeah, I don't really think that's going to happen, Blake. Um, just based on just based on like again, they had every chance to go for that in the offseason, I feel like, if they were gonna do that. But I think teams around the league were like, Yeah, we're not sold on O'Neill. Let's see if let's see if he can, you know, regain that twenty twenty one form and then we'll talk. But he hasn't done that. Um Korn says that Burley's gotta go. I don't think he will though. I mean Barrera can go before him. Um Carlson can go IL before him. Burley's on the roster and he fills a role that I think as a lefty off the bench, that's a fine role for him. Um, but, yeah, it didn't come through tonight, but that's okay. Oh, let's see here, guys. we got a lot of good questions. I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. Um, Anthony says, I would put together Burleson, Graceffo, Hence, Luke and Baker, and Carlson for Cease. I'm going to say that's not enough. That's too much quantity over quality. Like, Burleson might have been a top prospect, but then he's played this year, and they've seen what he is at the big league level. And he's, you know, he's not really lived up to that just just as much as you'd like to see. Um, Graceffo, sure, that's a good prospect, but he's struggling right now. Hence is a great name to throw in. Luke and Baker, no, um, he's not considered a prospect. So uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of value to him, even though I, I would love to see him get a chance somewhere. I don't think it'll be St. Louis, ultimately. Uh, and then Carlson, you know we like Carlson on the stream, but I don't know how much trade value he has right now. So I think that's a little light. It's got too many names and not enough top ones, Anthony, for a guy of, of Cease's caliber. And Fandom says he felt like it's too much. Blake says it's a hell of a package. Um, none of those guys aren't expendable, which is exactly what Chicago will say to you. None of those guys aren't expendable. So they all kind of are expendable. <laughs> And if they're expendable to you, we don't want them for Dylan Cease. Um, the trade sim is a bad thing to look at, Vandom. Don't look at it. That Chicago does not win that trade by 26. I personally, maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think I am. That if the top name you're getting is 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 uh, uh well maybe Tink Hens, depending on how the rest of his summer goes. But I just think you don't like other teams that are going to be trying to trade for Cease will have top 25 prospects to offer. So if you're not offering Mason Wynn, the White Sox are like, why are you talking to us? You got to think about it that way too. It's not MLB the show. You can't just trade the players you want to trade. The other team will look at you and go, we're not stupid. We know you've got Mason Wynn on that on that organization. Put him in or we're not, we're, we don't have anything to talk about. Like that's kind of the way this is going to go. They're not going to go, well, the trade sim says Luke and Baker adds 1.2 of surplus value and – no, I I just don't think uh, I just don't think that's enough of of elite names when the Cardinals have a couple elite names. Uh, now, if Graceffo starts really pitching well and, and really cements himself as a top fifty prospect, uh, then that's maybe different. But right now, he's not doing that. So, please stop looking at the trade sim and expecting it's realistic. Would be my like do it for fun, but don't do it to to think it's actually real. 
You can't acquire cornerstone guys and not build around them. There's no reason in the world we came into the season with most saying we got six starters. Again, the context is the Cardinals had six starters that they that had major league experience, that had significant major league experience. Uh, take hence out of the trade, and the Sim says it's even. Take hence out of the trade, and it's a total joke. I mean, I'm telling you, they would never accept that trade if you took hence out, and I don't think they would accept him with it. But that part I might be wrong about um, because, yeah, Burleson is a solid piece. Um, Burleson, hence, Graceffo, that's good. Carlson, you know, team-controlled, can throw him in the outfield. It's possible I'm wrong on that, guys, but aces with two years of team control, which is what I believe Cease has attached to him after this year, those guys do not grow on trees. So even though that's, like, fair and they'd be getting a lot of good talent, Chicago would, they can look to other teams that need him and go, oh, we could get that bonafide star or two instead of the quantity package we're getting from the Cardinals that has a lot of question marks. Let me ask you, do you make that deal if you can get Cease and Giolito? I think if you're getting both those guys for that deal, the Cardinals should absolutely do that. Um, but I, I don't think they can. I don't think they can even get Cease alone. Peace out to Corn, catching some Zs. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap this up here soon. Um, Sit Kisner instead of Gorman. Yeah, Fandom, they could have done that if they uh, if they uh, wanted to uh, have Contreras catch today, but I guess they didn't. I don't know. They didn't sit either of those guys today, so not an issue. If Libby blossoms, you can more afford to move pitching prospects. I guess so, but you also still have open spots next year. Now, if you're moving those guys for a Dylan Cease, then the rotation is Cease, Michaelis, Libertor, Mats, and then you've only got one spot to fill. That would change things. I know we're an hour in, but are you going to touch on the Yankees-Jays drama? Um, I didn't see any more of what happened tonight, but what I'll say, we talked about this on the big show. Uh, Aaron Judge yesterday seemed to be glancing over to the first base side. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the Blue Jays broadcast seemed to think tipping pitches or uh, trying to see if their guy was tipping pitches or relaying signs, whatever. Not illegal if a, a coach or somebody over there is relaying signs, by the way. You can do that. You can steal signs. You just can't use technology to do it. Um, and then Judge Homer's. And the, the Blue Jays broadcast had their panties in a twist about it, even though it was a terrible pitch middle-middle that, of course, Aaron Judge is going to crush. Um, I thought it was funny yesterday that Judge said it was more him looking over at Aaron Boone, who was uh, whining about the strike zone and trying and basically distracting him in that, uh, in that at-bat. He's like, don't talk about the strike zone. We're up 6-0, and I just want to hit a bomb. But if there was more on it today, fandom, I didn't see what the drama was, so I don't have more to add. Uh, and it's hour and 40 in, so now I certainly don't. Um, trade Framber Valdez for Austin Riley. Well, the Cardinals have neither of those teams, Nate, so I don't know, or neither of those players. Um, would the, the Astros and Braves like to do that? I have no idea. Um, you might be asking fantasy, though. <laughs> You're probably asking fantasy. I can't know the answer without knowing your league settings. Um, typically, in the leagues I'm in, pitching is elite pitching is more valuable, and so I, I would hang on to Framber in my case. Um, I am convinced that Mason Wynn comes up when the rosters expand late in the year. He might, especially when the AAA season kind of ends, so that's possible. The A's have won their 10th game. Love to see that. Einstein says, I feel like sometimes we didn't appreciate Jay Happ enough as a Cardinal. Do one out every fifth day to pitch through the pain, help to stabilize a memorable postseason push. Yeah, I agree. Jay Happ was a good Cardinal, and they would have had him back, but he retired. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. They probably would have had him back. Uh, Joshua, what's going on? He asked me the most likely extension candidate out of the position players. Goldie is obvious, but who would be the next man up? 
I could see Gorman. I could see. Uh, oh man, let me. Newt Bar would be an obvious one. Newt Bar is the one that I'm going to probably go with actually, because they were very high on him coming into the season, and they could lock him up and say, "Can we buy out some free agency years?" Now, would Newt Bar want to do it? I don't know. But if you're talking early extensions, that's one I could see. Uh, and Josh also asks if Bieber is more or less realistic than Cease if the Guardians made him available. Yeah, I think he could be a little more realistic because, like, some of the underlying numbers, teams might be – I'm not saying he's, he's uh, you know, not still a stud, but I think some of the underlying numbers on his stuff has kind of de- declined a little bit in recent years compared to when he was at his height. Uh, he's still only 27, though. He's going to cost a ton too, Joshua. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Arb eligible next year and then a free agent in 25. Um, 261 ERA. Yeah, I don't know. I, he's actually shoving right now, but he's not doing it with strikeouts. And so that's what I mean by the underlying stuff a little bit. He, he's got 51 innings, but only 39 Ks this year, but a 261 ERA. Um, good whip, 1.1 whip. So I don't think it would be cheaper, honestly. I think it would be, it would still be rather expensive. Um, imagine Nick Crawl phoning you in and being like, yeah, this is a trade sim website is great. And then Reeds gives away the uh, Tyler Stevenson for nothing. Um, yeah, I don't know the references to all of that, but um, yeah, I the, uh, I don't think you could just use the trade sim if you're, a, if you're an actual front office. And Einstein, I think, knows that too. But maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. Um, all right, guys, I know I missed some comments. Get at me, at bshafer12 on Twitter, but I was up till 3 a.m. writing last night, and I can't do that again tonight. So I'm going to let you guys go here. Appreciate you guys all for chiming in, for watching, for getting me to 30 likes. Somebody unliked the thing. Why the hell would you do that? It wasn't 31. That's fine. Like it before you get out of here. Thank you guys for following along. Uh, you can listen to anything you missed tomorrow right here on YouTube or on the, the Spotify stream as well. Uh, Be Shafe Daily. Make sure to follow and uh, give us a five-star review over on Spotify. Thank you guys so much for joining tonight, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily Live. Peace.